Welcome to another edition of On the Road with Legal Talk Network. This is Lawrence Clay. I'm the host for this episode, which is still being recorded on location at the 2023 Clio Cloud Conference here in beautiful Nashville, Tennessee. We're at this amazingly huge hotel. I'm not sure if we're in a biodome or what has happened, but there's a town square inside the hotel and a river. It's amazing. Of course, I have one of my favorite guests of all time, Joshua Lennon, the lawyer in residence at Clio. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Lawrence. It's always great to be on Legal Talk Network. And it's amazing to have you at the Clio Cloud Conference. You oh. add a lot to this show. Well, thank you. Thank you, Joshua. And I, I look forward to our, uh, our annual talks about the Legal Trends Report. Uh, of course, mm -hmm. I say this every time we talk about it. It's my favorite report in the industry. I think this is the best information you can use if you're running. I mean, any size firm, really. But uh, if you're responsible for law firm operations, you really need to take a look at this report. And we're going to get into the why, but this year, you guys, blew it out of the water. This is the eighth edition yep. of the Legal Trends Report. And I remember the first one in 2016 kind of blew everyone's, uh, blew everyone's minds uh, just with uh, how shockingly little time lawyers spent on billable hours. We can talk about that a little bit later. But uh, mm -hmm. I want to start with the report. So you gather data that's pretty unique. It's hard to come by this data, and you all are in a very unique position to get it. So let's talk mm -hmm. about the type of data. There's different types that were included in this report. Yeah. So, reporting on the legal profession prior to the Legal Trends Report, or LTR, as we talk about it in shorthand, all relied on survey data. Let's find 200 lawyers at a big law firm in New York, we'll ask them some questions, and then pretend that their answers actually applied to everybody across the nation. And when Clio launched, we launched as a cloud-based software, which meant that law firms across the nation while all using Clio in their own individual accounts, we're all using the same software at the same time. And that, that usage contributes usage data to Clio. So this isn't case files, this isn't client details, it's just how lawyers are using the software in front of them. Are they using this feature or a different feature? Uh, are they setting hourly billable rates at a number that is something that we can handle for invoice calculation or something that we've never seen before and need to like adjust? Are they storing documents with us? And how many and what type so we can do document previews and editing for them? All of this is usage data. But even with that limited view, it was the first place to ever collect details on how lawyers are practicing law as they're doing it. And so it's tens of thousands of law firms and legal professionals all collectively collaborating to create this aggregated, anonymized data set at a scale that had never been seen before. And quite frankly, I don't think anybody's been able to replicate since. It's unique to Clio. Well, and you all offered for free. So it's not like anyone's obligated to sign up for anything. They can just jump on your website and take a look at this to get some uh, tremendous insights yeah. into the legal profession. Yeah, the Legal Trends Report is free to the entire industry because we do think that a lot of the research and conclusions that we're able to draw is incredibly valuable. So some of the resources that we make available as part of the Legal Trends Report is the report itself which is a tremendous resource with a whole variety of different questions and answers that are available for you to ask. Uh, and then we include in that um, indexes of information like the average hourly rate for a state or the average hourly rate per practice area. And then we've used a lot of that information to also offer our free benchmark rate calculator where you can swing by Clio.com, throw in your hourly rate in your practice area in your state or that of your paralegal right? 
uh, and you'll actually see based on the data from your state is your hourly rate higher or lower and gives you the ability to start to make choices, right? If I'm a premium offering, heck yeah, my hourly rate is going to be higher. Uh, but if I'm offering maybe a value-based service and I'm trying to, to really pull in like quick, fast wins, I might choose to charge my hourly rate a little bit lower to entice that type of client. And so it gives you a tool from which you can base decisions. And that's just something I didn't have when I was practicing law. And so being in Clio and being able to put together a library of resources that teach lawyers what works and what's actually being done rather than just what that guy of the hall down the hall is doing is, is something that's unique and valuable. And I'm really excited that we've done it for the eighth year in a row now. My wallet and I are no longer on speaking terms. It's uh, really angry at me. I just paid $6.70 for a gallon of gasoline in Southern oh California. Oh my gosh. And so the next question I want to ask you about is inflation. And so one of the encouraging things I found in this report was that the legal profession as a whole has been able to keep up with inflation. Now, legal part of it, the legal, the legal profession that's lawyers uh, compared to the legal profession that's not lawyers. So walk us through some of that, because I do think it's important to hear that information before everybody freaks out, because costs are going up and you know rents are going up. Everything that goes into the supply chain is going up. And so this is causing people a lot of worry. And so I want to pass that information along to the legal profession if we can. Yeah. So as part of the reporting, we take a look at the average hourly rate for lawyers, for non-lawyer legal professionals like paralegals, and then a blended rate for law firms. So what if a, what if a client is paying a blended rate between the lawyer rate and the, the non-lawyer legal professionals? And what we found is that lawyers have been steadily increasing their rate over time. It's usually about a 4% bump every year. It fell behind inflation in 2021-2022. But as inflation is leveled out and lawyer rates keep increasing, it surpassed it. And then lawyers are now keeping up with inflation again. We can't say the same for non-lawyer legal professionals. Their rates are a lot lower, they're right around $176 in the 2023 report. And when you look at that amount and the blended law firm rate, we see that they're still lagging behind inflation. The blended law firm rate is 5% below the inflation index and non-lawyer rates are 8% below. And so there's just these firms that are holding themselves back not because they're doing anything wrong, it's just because they're doing nothing. They're not increasing their rates, they're not keeping up. And so they're finding themselves falling further and further behind because they're relying on the status quo. To, I guess, counterbalance that a little bit in a positive way, uh, the legal profession is becoming more productive and efficient. And so you all uh, uh, pinned some KPIs uh, at 2016 and been evaluating the industry for about eight years now. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that uh, you, you came back with is that Recently, there's been kind of an investment and people are uh, doubling down and things are becoming more productive and efficient. So let's talk about that. What are the drivers behind that? What's causing that? You got it. So we take a look at three key performance indicators. We look at the utilization rate, how much of a timekeeper's day is spent on billable work versus how many business hours there are in the day. Then that's followed by realization, which is how many hours that you record actually make it onto your bill. And finally, we look at collection rate. So of all the hours that make it onto the bill, how many do your clients actually pay? And the good news is since 2016, we've seen improvements in almost all of these metrics. 
The bad news is they started so low that there's still a huge amount of room for improvement. So the average utilization rate for a law firm, the amount of hours in a day that they spend on billable work is just getting to 37% now after eight years of reporting on this, which means the lawyers are still spending close to five hours of their day on non-billable work, like administrative work or business development, things that are crucial to running a law firm, but might not be the best use of a timekeeper in the law firm. Then the realization rate, we've seen steady improvement on as well, but this rate is, is a bit mystifying because it's the rate that is almost entirely in control of the law firm. Like a utilization rate, you're gonna get interrupted during the day, right? You're gonna have to do business development. There's no completely fixing those. A realization rate is when a lawyer looks at the number of hours that they've billed and said, yikes, that's too many, and gives themselves a haircut. Now, that haircut might be based on an agreement with the client, right? We said 10 hours, this is 10.5. Or it could be that they feel bad for the client that I took so long to, to really find that one case. But it's almost entirely within the lawyer's control. Uh, and so realization rate, the fact that it's still now around 86% is uh, unfortunately too low. It needs to be much higher because it's in a lawyer's control. And then that last one collection rate is we've billed a client and then they almost always come back and say, well, how about I pay you less? Oh. And collection rate actually was higher in 2021 than it is now. It reached a high of 90%. So uh, 90 cents out of every dollar that you were billed was getting paid on average, which is huge. Uh, but right now with the numbers we're seeing, we're forecasting that 2023 will end with a collection rate of 89%. So we're having trouble collecting and that's leaving money on the table that law firms have earned. All right, so uh, new to the report this year uh, is lockup. And this is a term that came from the accounting industry mm -hmm. and you all applied it to uh, kind of a towards accounts receivable, but the, the legal profession's version of accounts receivable. So yeah. walk us through that and explain why that could be so dangerous to a law firm to have so much in lockup. Lockup is an accounting model that looks at how many days of annual revenue are held in either an unbilled or uncollected state. But I really like to think about it is, is the money I've earned locked up in my bank account or is it locked up somewhere else and why? And the good thing about lockup is the two things that it measures against, my work in progress, that unbilled time, and my outstanding accounts receivable, all those bills that haven't been paid, I can actually measure those to see how much of my annual uh, revenue is held in a locked up state. So if I'm having problems getting my bills out the door, I'll see my realization collection actually be increased in the number of days. So that's how lockups always reported, it's in days. Uh, it might just be bigger than it should be, right? And so I can make some fixes to how I bill to get my bills out the door quicker. Or my collection lockup, the money's just being held by my clients and they're not paying can just stretch on and on and on. And I think every lawyer can actually relate to that. But using the math that we have, we can see whether or not the lockup that you're seeing in collections is comparable to the median that's out there now. And this is numbers that have never been published ever for North American law firms. Well, we tell us we about looked those. hard to try and find something comparable. How did you find them? Is this coming through the uh, the practice management platform and there and you're seeing the billing coming through there? So I mean, this is really unique. Yeah, the data is all in Clio's uh, billing platform, okay. Clio Manage, right? 
but nobody had ever, even in surveys, really taken a look at this data in terms of North American law firms, especially solo, small, and mid-sized. You do see some little kind of edge of the case reporting by the City Hildebrandt report for big law firms. Uh, but even then, they're not really publishing lockup. They're talking about outstanding accounts receivable and whether the size of that is growing or shrinking. So we had to look outside of the United States to really figure out like, what is lockup in the professional setting. And fortunately, the Law Society of England and Wales has been publishing lockup data for several years in a row now for UK solicitors and law firms. So we had a benchmark outside of the United States to compare against. So when we looked at the availability of this data in Clio, we did our calculations, we were able to compare it. And what we see is the median realization lockup days. So the amount of time that revenue is just left in this unbilled state in Clio is about 38 days. And that compares really favorably to the UK data that we're seeing, where it's almost actually 97 days, where they just leave money unbilled. The client doesn't even know they own it. So that's three months. And then when we look at what's called total lockup, where I combine my realization, that unbilled time, and my collection lockup, that unpaid time, we see that the median for Clio using law firms is 97 days, so three months, which isn't great. That's about a quarter of your year is potentially at risk for something happening to your client and they just can't pay you, right? But when we looked at UK law firms, the median total lockup there is 140 days. Wow. Yeah, so an extra two and a half months on top of Clio using law firms. So it's gratifying to see one, we can actually provide this visibility now. Can I really notice where my billing and collections are lagging and work to improve that? And that Clio using law firms, even without knowing this, this metric before, we're still performing better than firms that have been tracking it for years. Yeah, I think it's especially important right now. You know, we're, we're living in some higher inflation times, and you know, if that money is not in one of your accounts and it's not earning interest, you're losing out. I mean, you're losing ground. You're basically becoming less valuable, and it's not even it's just sitting in a holding account somewhere. It's sitting somewhere else. Yeah, you know, that's absolutely it, right? And the risks to that funds are real. What if there's a bank run? What if your client goes out of business? What if your client, God forbid, is hit by a car? Right? There are all kinds of worst case scenarios where you don't get paid and it's not the client's fault, it's that you didn't get that bill out the door on time or you didn't give them a way to pay it in a timely fashion. That is an excellent segue into my, uh, my next question for you. So I got two more areas I wanna hit and we only have a few more minutes of time, but do you wanna spend a few minutes on billing? And yeah. so this is something that I think a lot of people struggle with. Um, I think, like you said, some lawyers feel bad for their clients because they are going. Some of them are going through hard times, and they mm -hmm. they might feel bad about giving them a bill that's going to be pretty heavy. But you did just do a valuable service for them, and so I think this is a difficult thing, especially for solos. They can't just hand it off to someone else to go kind of be the bulldog of billing, right? Oh yeah. And so let's talk about that. There's a psychology to it, and I love that you all brought in Jay Foonberg, and yeah. uh, he wrote that classic book, How to Start and Build a Law Practice. And fun fact, uh, mm -hmm. Joshua. Jay Foonberg is the only guest on Legal Talk Network I've ever booked through a fax. No way, really? Yeah. Oh, that's fax. hilarious. He wouldn't book through an email. He wouldn't let me call him. Uh, I couldn't text message him. He requested we book it through a fax instead of time. And so the first and only, I had to like walk around the office looking for one. Yeah, you have to figure out how to use a fax. Uh, pro tip to the listeners, Dropbox has a built-in fax function. 
Wow, look at yeah. that. See, this is the kind of stuff you get when you collaborate yeah. with Joshua Lennon. This is the kind of wisdom you get. So <laughs> let's let's transition into the billing, though. And so oh, yeah. th- there's a way to do this. And uh, Jay Foonberg, his philosophy, the gratitude curve, you mm-hmm. know, the, there's, a, there's this optimal point when the, the client is going to be most receptive to billing. Yes. But there's also uh, a timeliness factor of it. And there's also a methodology, like what medium are you going to choose to build them through? But if you combine these, mm-hmm. you're going to ensure that you get paid back more often, but also a lot more. So let's walk through that real quick. Yeah. So the Foonberg client gratitude curve, uh, and this isn't like an exact measurement, but it's more a client experience. When you do something valuable for the client, you are their best friend, right? You help me buy a house. You help me get child support. You help me open a business. They feel a deep sense of gratitude towards you. What Foonberg discovered is that if you use that moment in time as an opportunity to discuss the bill, right? They're going to be much more receptive to paying you because they see the value that you have brought. That gratitude leads towards timely, happy payment. But if you wait, if you delay, then that gratitude actually diminishes because they just don't have that immediacy of that, that high that you have brought to them of a problem being fixed or resolved or a good outcome. And I think we kind of subtly give a message that must not be important to pay this bill if the lawyer's not gonna bill me in a quick fashion. And so if they perceive the lawyer as treating the bill as less important, even though lawyers think the bill is important, they're just not gonna pay it in a timely fashion. And what we actually see in surveys of legal professionals is 41% of them are telling us their clients don't pay on time. As your uh, some of your graphs and charts indicated as well, the, the longer you go, I mean, it precipitous, uh, precipitously falls off the odds that you're actually gonna get paid or paid in full. And so that's money you're yeah. just leaving on the table that you're not taking home. Yeah, it becomes harder and harder to collect the longer you wait to collect. And then uh, I think there was, there was another aspect of it as well, methodology. And this is yeah. one that, uh, you know, I think should be pretty intuitive, but, you know, I think for uh, some lawyers that, uh, you know, maybe came up through the ranks at a different time, you know, check or paying Mm -hmm. an office in person is kind of the way I like to go, but everybody seems to want to pay through credit card or some type of instantaneous, like, I'll pay now, send me a link, uh, you know, let me use my credit card. Let's walk through that because the numbers are pretty uh, pretty astounding. The numbers are pretty astounding. So 46% of consumers surveyed said they want to pay by credit card. That's like nearly half of all clients out there are saying, just let me pay by credit card. And we've had that function built into Clio for years now. And What's the, the resistance to using credit cards for some law firms? Is there any, just it's not the way they did things, never thought it's necessary? Or? So I think there are two points to this. The first is that they were always kind of treated as mercantile. Okay. Right? That's something that a merchant would do. That's not something a law firm would do. And so you can accept it if you have to, but... It's not very dignified. If you look at the ethics opinions from like 1976, there's a real attitude written into them uh, that's dismissive of credit cards, which I find very interesting. And I think that's kind of carried over in the background to this day. But I think the second reason is a lot of law firms worry about the processing fees and they just don't want to pay for the convenience of getting paid, right? If I can bully a client into paying me a check, even though it takes like 90 days and multiple phone calls, that's worth saving 100 bucks. And it's, I think, quite frankly, uh, penny wise and pound foolish. 
Well, I think when you look at this data, this is really an investment in getting paid. And so instead of using yeah. your own efforts, which are very valuable, where you could be working on something else, and instead of this extra time that leads to higher probability of getting nothing or less than what you build for, yeah. you know, go ahead and just pay the transaction fees and let the credit card company work for you. Yeah, and the convenience of it is not just for the client. What we have found is that law firms that are using online payments and credit card payments are actually getting paid twice as fast as firms that are downloading the bill and licking the envelope and putting a stamp on it twice as fast. And if you lean into electronic payments, what we see is the higher percentage of a firm's bill that go out via email, that have a link to pay, the faster they get paid. In fact, firms that were relying on electronic billing almost exclusively, we're seeing half the bills they issued completely paid in three days, three days. Whereas firms that were, again, using the envelopes and stamps, it's nearly a month to get half their bills paid. And I don't understand why a business can just wait to get paid like that. All right, so last question. We only have a couple of minutes here. We, you know, we mm -hmm. talked uh, with your boss, Jack Newton, earlier about yeah. uh, uh, Clio Duo, right? Clio Duo? And uh, so this will be an artificial intelligence project that's going to be collaborative with your customer base right now. And so yeah. you all included some survey information regarding artificial intelligence, not just from the lawyer side, but also from the client side as well, and extracted yeah. some data on, you know, do you trust it? Would you use it to handle your own matter? How do you feel about your information going into this collective of information to get a result. So I want to briefly talk about that and then I want to close on a question about some recommendations for lawyers. So okay. let's talk about some of the questions that you asked regarding that and the yeah. information you were looking for. So one of the things that we took a look at was are just lawyers and clients interested in having AI be a part of legal services? And actually interest was really high. So let's see, it was 54% of lawyers. I'm going to have to turn to the back to the LTR to get the exact number for you expressed interest in using AI in their law firm and clients were equally open to it. But they did have some concerns about reliability. And for lawyers especially, there was a big concern about um, ethical issues that might arise using an artificial intelligence tool. Now, quite frankly, I think the objections that we were seeing in the survey are almost word for word the same thing that we saw lawyers like list when it came to cloud computing a decade ago, right? My bar association's never gonna approve it. How do I know that it's under, like confidentiality is preserved, that privacy is preserved? And these are all questions that have just been answered with other technology. We can really take the same contractual and technological provisions that allow a law firm to use cloud computing and bring those to an AI-based vendor, right? And so I think a lot of those are, quite frankly, moot points because we just know how it's gonna work out. Lawyers that use AI are gonna love it. They're going to be able to leverage it for greater profitability, greater productivity than ever before. And clients are gonna start gravitating towards those lawyers. And eventually a bar association will be like, well, yeah, I guess you can use AI. And they move on. The other issue that I found really interesting for clients was they did worry about professional liability insurers and whether or not they thought AI was a bad idea. And what that kind of spoke to me as saying is, if this messes up my case, will insurance cover my lawyer? That's a good question. Yeah. And we do know that there are some insurance companies out there that haven't said don't use AI, but they have cautioned that AI alone isn't the right tool. 
And so that leads me to think they're going to be just like the bar associations. They're going to wait and see what lawyers do and how they utilize it. There might be like a couple of writers, depending on the type of tool and practice area you're in, just like we have now. Real estate firms, I'm sorry, but you always pay a little bit more in professional liability insurance. That's your practice area. But it'll just be written into the costs and it'll be carried forward. So I think the consumer concern about professional liability insurance is, again, another moot point. The last thing that we saw a little bit of difference between consumers and lawyers was should you disclose whether or not you're using AI? And 70% of consumers said, yeah, a lawyer should disclose it. I'm actually of the opposite opinion. I think if it's not relevant to the output and service that you're providing the client, I don't think you necessarily do disclose it. We don't disclose whether or not we're using Fastcase, right, as our legal research engine. We don't disclose if we're using bundle docs to create uh, the documents that we're sending into the court, or if we're using DocketWise to do our immigration applications, right? It's just a tool. And so long as the output is good, what does it matter? And that's why I think 12% of lawyers said, you know what? Clients can figure that out that we're using AI, therefore they might want to disclose it. But most of lawyers are like, no, it'll be fine. So my last question for you uh, is related to uses for it. You all have kind of been at the uh, front end of technology and developing the uh, the Clio practice management platform. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm pretty bullish on um, on artificial intelligence as a tool. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think the big challenge is trying to figure out how to use this, this new tool. And I think over time, like many tools in history, there's going to be a back and forth between use and improvement. And every time you come back around and improve this thing, then it really starts to take shape. Yeah. And so I guess uh, for, from you all seat as technology developers, I mean, where are you seeing the first obvious steps where AI can step in and truly supplement a legal practice as opposed to maybe being a little more risky? You know? yeah. So what, we're, we're gonna dig in right now and start providing value early as it develops. 100% legal research, no okay. problem. Uh, and we've already seen that. Fastcase, I chose as an example because they actually do use recommended terms in addition to the terms that you've done your search on, right? And so they're like, hey, you know, you're researching man bites dog cases, but we actually found some man bites cats, pigs, and snakes cases, and those would be important and might have just as good a precedent for you, right? Uh, And it's a silly example, but it's absolutely the type of large language model type construction that you can utilize here. I think the next best use case and this is the one that I don't think enough lawyers are looking at, is using generative AI not to create a document, but to transform it. So we get so many bad documents, right? The This will be in bullet points, I need it in a table. Or I wrote this brief, but the judge says it has to be 10 pages, right? There's always something wrong with a document. What's really amazing about generative AI is that it can take these documents and make effortless transformations for them pull all the information out of this table and put it in bullet points for me now. And it'll just do that. Or, you know, I need to cut 100 words out of this memo. And it will go through and find recommendations for phrases or uh, extraneous words and just help you edit. And so, well, a lot of people are looking at ChatGPT and other generative AI as a drafting tool. I actually think they're pretty phenomenal editors And that lets you control the direction and use cases 
And then it also gives you something that you can proof against, right? Your original work versus the outcome, and is it good? And that's that independent judgment that I think is going to make AI a great legal tool. We're not just using the tool, we're judging its output and whether or not they best fit our client and our desired outcomes. Well, before we close it, I do want to just reiterate that I highly recommend the Legal Trends Report. Uh, for anybody out there that's running a law firm responsible for its operations, I'm going to put this challenge out to you. So it's now in its eighth version. Just give it 20 pages of the report. Just 20 pages. It won't take you very long. Not a whole Saturday, anything like that. 20 pages. It's, it's written to be simple, quick read. It's got information. And if you don't like it after 20 pages, fine. File it away. You don't have to look at it yet. It's free. Yeah. Give it 20 pages. And then if you can finish version eight and just, you know, think about this, the other ones. There's uh, seven prior to that. I think they're all worth taking a look at. Even the ones back in 2016 has some big reveals on there. And I yeah. think it really will help your law firm operations. But Joshua, Lennon, thank you so much for stopping by today and sharing a bunch of this wisdom and, uh, you know, give us some insights to the legal profession. Thank you, Lawrence. It's always great to have the Legal Talk Network at ClioCon. And if our listeners, they want to reach out, ask you some questions or a follow-up, how can they find you? They can find me on social media. I'm on LinkedIn with my name, Joshua Lennon, L-E-N-O-N. I'm on the site formerly named as Twitter, uh, <laughs> at, at Joshua Lennon, uh, which is my same handle on Mastodon and Blue Sky, actually. So I'm in a variety of places now. And of course, I can always be emailed at that Joshua at Clio.com. That's C-L-I-O dot com. And if you want to go ahead and download your own Legal Trends Report, you can swing by Clio.com forward slash LTR. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Also, I want to thank our listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard today, please give us a positive review in your favorite podcasting app. Until next time, I'm Lawrence Coletti, executive producer, and you've been listening to On the Road, Legal Talk Network. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook, or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thank you.